Hey, everybody. Welcome into episode 183. And this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. I know you've heard me say it many times before, but Dream Symbols, if you have not checked them out, you should do that. Visit their website, check out some of the samples. Later, we're going to drop in a demo of some of their stuff. Um, great options for you know, moderately priced, really high quality B20 style, jazzy. There's a whole full range, jazzy stuff, more rock stuff, some more kind of crazy experimental stuff. So check out some dream symbols, go down to your local dealer. If they don't have it and request that they get some in, you won't be disappointed. All right, let's get on with the show. Ooh, it's going to be a good day. It's Friday. I think it's Friday matcha day. <laughs> We'll talk about that later. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. I had to move my office. I don't know if you can tell. The background is different. Yeah. yeah we What's shifted, going on? We shifted to the other side of the floor, so I'm on the opposite side of the building. So you literally have a new office. Oh, yeah. Different. Wow. It's, it's like a it's Now, a is it permanent? Image. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yep. Man. So it's I, been, I, uh, feel- I got boxes, and I've got everything's on the floor. It's probably a little boomy in here. Yeah, you don't, have your, you don't have your Questlove poster behind yeah, you, man. He's, he's hiding in the corner. <laughs> oh, Quest. Don't never put Quest in the corner. Oh, man. Well, you know what? If you're going to move offices, you might as well move to Shane Wixted's groove because mm-hmm. that thing is smooth. That's smooth. That's a good way to get this weekend cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Buttery smooth. That is. I feel like we should be doing a cooking show with that thing. Shane, thank you so much. Uh, what's he using? He's got a Ludwig, uh, I don't even know how to say it, so Signet, Sinet, Sinet. Come on, Ludwig, help us out here. <laughs> how do you pronounce this kit? Ludwig Sinet? <laughs> I'm sure they're just mad that you're not saying Ludwig. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Ludwig Signet Gigabyte, Gigabit Maple. Uh, anyway, great sounding drums. It's a 12, 14, 20. He's got a Black Panther uh, machete snare. Um, I ever, I'm seeing a lot of people use the Evans... Uh, dry snare head so that's becoming a new popular amongst a lot of people yeah man uh, what else has he got some byzance hats and crash and a k custom medium ride and a byzance other crash so almost full minor that k custom medium is holding out i had that got that that was a ride symbol i got in high school really it was, it was when i saw dennis chambers use it i'm like i gotta have that ride whatever that is <laughs> Maybe Shane's in the same boat. Shane, Shane's a longtime Mike's Lesson student, and uh, clearly I've almost converted him. Almost. But he, he's like, ah, I can't give it up. I love that K. <laughs> uh, Dig it. I think, you know what? I mean, there are times I can say as an endorsed artist, uh, there's a lot of artists that I've talked to, and I feel this way myself. Sometimes you just want to drop all your endorsements so that you can just be open to the drum world again yeah like, you know because i remember when i first started uh recording having the drum doctors come in and get your pork pie 10 inch tom yeah, with your right. gretch floor tom and your dw kick drum and because all you were going for was the best sound possible and there was no social media no one was going to see what you were playing yeah so it didn't even matter what your endorsements were you just had to get the best sound i mean that was that was such a joy such that's, a joy that's my life man i buy what i want i play what i want <laughs> don't don't you know what dude don't don't just throw that in my face. <laughs> oh, speaking you know of I, which, I, I, yeah, uh, go ahead. I sent Nikki Moon a couple symbols, a couple. Um, I don't know if I should say what brands they are, but I had a flat ride that was very bright and and it sounded like a hubcap. Okay. So I had him modify it, and I sent him a, a pair of twelve inch hi hats that were also just overly clunky. And the dude is a he's a magician, man. He turned that flat ride into like this sort of old K, old A hybrid sounding thing. Really, it sounds awesome. And then the hi hats, which he he hasn't sent back back yet, but I've seen the video. They're like papery, but but real kind of crunchy in a good way. So they went from real bright and like clingy, clangy to like this papery, crunchy sound. So the dude's wow. a magician. So if you have any old clunkers that you just never use, look up Nicky Moon. He'll he'll make them sound pretty cool. Now, as far as you don't have to mention the actual price that you paid, but do you feel like his service and pricing wise is something where you're like, man, I would totally pay that for that service yes or is it insane no no he's real careful that once you get past the value of the symbol itself then why bother so he keeps it you know it's it's very it's very affordable depending on what it is if he has to lay that and and hammer it and maybe cut some stuff out of it that's a whole different but even then i think it's totally worth it like i literally never use this ride symbol as soon as i bought it i'm like "Hmm, that's not what i thought it was going to be never used it so it went from a piece of junk that i wasted a couple hundred bucks on to like, I'm going to have this on my kit for, for a long time. Wow. 
That's so cool, man. It's pretty. Dope. What a cool service. Yeah, and I gave him free reign, and I would urge anyone that that does that that that, that calls him up, just let him do what he wants to do because he he's even said he kind of gets in a mode where things just start happening, and you and the symbol becomes something totally different. So it's wow. almost like let let the artist do his thing, and and sure be cool with what comes that's out. really yeah and that's really cool you know from you where you have a great ear you've experienced almost every symbol on the planet you know what you want but still sometimes you got to let the artist be artists i learned that at my most recent camp oh yeah right uh, the adobe camp yeah so th- there were t- really two parts to this we had the video camp that i taught which was the how to make better videos camp and then adobe was here with a film crew that they hired from hollywood to shoot me teaching that camp and then they stayed another day but i wasn't ready to let the artists be artists so when they came in oh my god control freak johnston oh bro (laughs) and how wrong i was it wasn't even funny like they came in and i said hey guys uh, i know you have your own gear and everything but if you need any of my stuff that's my aperture 120d light you can use that those are my (laughs) canon cinema cameras and they all just were very polite and then they started unpacking their Hollywood gear, uh, and I was like, "Oh, that's right. I'm a child. I know nothing." Because they were like, "Oh, that's really cool. Thanks." And I'm like, "And I've got like three of those sliders. I got them on Amazon for three hundred bucks." And they start unpacking rails for like legit dolly shots, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. They're unpacking lights where each light is five grand. The camera body they used, they used a red helium, and I was like, "Oh, I've heard about those." Uh, how much is the body? So the body of this camera, without a lens, without a battery, and without a memory card. By the way, the camera is completely unfunctional at that point. Just the body was $50,000. What the heck are you doing with that kind of a camera? <laughs> so, well, yeah. Once I saw what the director had been doing with it, like shooting Will Smith and yeah, Lil right. Wayne and, and The Rock, I was like, okay. And we did talk about it a little bit. Uh, if you guys want someone really fun to follow on Instagram, check out Ryan Postas, uh, P-O-S-T-A-S. He was the director of this shoot. And uh, one thing he told me was that the camera itself gets him gigs because people want to, you know, if Lexus is hiring him to do a shoot, first thing they're going to say is what kind of camera are you using? And when he says red helium, they know, oh, okay, it's going to, you, you shoot, you know, feature films with that thing. That's so, hmm. so yeah, so uh, it's, he said it's being paid off through the, <laughs> through the gigs, but, but the gigs are coming because of the camera. It shoots in 8K, which I don't know what that looks like. Is that I like don't holograms either. at this point? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So that so it was but yeah, as far as letting the artists do their thing, yeah. I also said things like, you know, usually when I'm talking to the camera, I'll sit over here. Uh, this is a good <laughs> shot for depth of field, you know, and he was like, Yeah, that's cool. And then they just literally tore my whole building apart, lit it the way that they saw fit, and all of a sudden we were making a, a music video and I was like, Oh my gosh, you guys really I watching <laughs> pros do their thing was really cool uh, what did I will you say, steal from yeah. them lights for sure so I, I ordered two of these things called Astera tube lights so they're just literally they look like uh, the lights you would put in uh, like fluorescent bulbs in the ceiling of an office okay. like long tube lights yeah. but they're completely self powered and completely temperature controlled and because they're tubes they could lay in the ground in corners and light things on the way up in ways that I had just never seen my place lit before huh. And I was starting to think, too, how cool it would be at the end of night for, like, the nightly sheds during camp. Let's make the whole place blue. Let's make it green tonight. Let's Mm. shoot with it being red because you literally control the whole thing from your phone. They're all synced to each other. So they had those. And that was the one thing. So here's the deal, guys. I'm sure most men that are married know this. But you introduce your wife to the $50,000 camera. You drool over it so that she is more than happy to let you get the $1,000 lights. Oh, goodness. So it's, yeah, so she, she was like, you're not getting that camera. I was like, well, I think that we'd probably get a lot more subscribers if I had that camera. You, you need a whole lot more subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever 50000 divided by 30 is. Uh, yeah, so... Um, so, yeah, so uh, I, I ordered the lights. They should be here in a couple weeks. But the main thing was it was so great during time off uh, in between, like, teaching the camp that I was teaching, being able to have the cinematographer and the lighting director sit on my drum throne, look into my monitor on the, you know, on my camera, 
and say, am I doing this right? And Ryan mm. literally just straight up told me, he's like, well, yes, it looks good, but I think what you think is cool is actually quite distracting. And I'm like, okay, tell me about it. And he said, you've got your main key light, the light that's on your face, is being reflected in the window behind you. And I think you like that. I think you see that big orb and it looks cool to you. He's like, in all honesty, it's quite distracting. If you move the light to the other side of your body, then it will light your face the same way. It'll just be the other side of your face, but it'll light you the exact same way. You'll still get the dramatic look you're looking for, but now your body will block the reflection behind you and it'll be a lot more easy to pay attention to your education. So things like that where I just didn't see it that way because – you know, I mean, I'm still in a level where in anything I do with video, I'm still overdoing everything a little bit because it's so new to me. Mm-hmm. It's just like us learning a new fill. It's like reverb. It's like <laughs> reverb. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly like mixing. It's yeah. just like, oh, God. Okay, that's amazing. So I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot from watching them work uh, as a team. That was really cool. And I also learned that – so the guy that was heading up this thing, his name is Matt, and he works for Adobe or Matthew. So Matthew used to work for the BBC. He worked on Planet Earth and all those massive shows. Mm-hmm. And I learned – they shot for three full days from morning until night, nonstop shooting, and we are making a two-minute video for Adobe. Yeah, that's – yeah. I mean, that, obviously, that's reality of that world, but my god. <laughs> I can't I, – I realized I wasn't meant for – like, not that I was thinking about switching from drums to that, but I'm not meant for that world. I, I just couldn't do it. I mean, right now, everything I shoot – if I'm going to make a seven-minute video for YouTube, I probably have ten minutes of footage. Yeah, right. Because everything I shoot is kept, and – um and I've also rehearsed to the point that I'm only shooting things I've kept. And it's educational. It's way different than artistic. But he was saying on a show like Planet Earth, they were shooting 600 hours of footage to get one hour. So it was yeah. a six, 600 to one I mean, ratio. Yeah, you're talking big boy budgets at that point. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. So, so I learned a lot from them. I had a blast with the campers teaching the camp. I mean, that was just so much fun. And the thing, I thought it was going to be... A much uh, more artistic camp about learning how to use your camera and how to shoot stuff. And really what it came down to is it almost morphed into a how to speak to the camera camp. That seemed to be the biggest thing that I noticed in all eight campers that would hold them back as soon as they got home. If you made great mm-hmm. videos and everything looked good, if you can't say hello to your audience, I'm sorry. it's not. There's no way for them to engage you. Yeah, um, that's so important. I mean, think of like like Aaron Sterling's master classes. He's using GoPros. It's grainy. It's not consistently lit, but he's absolutely. really comfortable talking. That for me, I just I just overlook all that stuff. It's just no. He's he's comfortable. I'm I'm connecting with him on a personal level. Right. I'm hanging out with him. Yeah. And and that was so that became the focus of the camp. And then by the end, it was really cool. I have a whole little thing. Everyone had to make their thirty second video. Their final project was sit on my kit, and you're going to introduce yourself to the audience. Mm. You're going to tell them who you are, and then you're going to tell them what they're about to learn. So it needed to be about a thirty second video, and then they all put their memory cards into my camera. They had to take those memory cards out. They had to edit the footage, color grade the footage, do all of that, and that became their final project. And it, so it was a blast. Uh, I'm hoping if we get more requests for it, it's definitely something I would like to do again next year. Uh, and then the greatest part of the camp was the fact that while we were doing all this stuff, they could look around and see a Hollywood film crew shooting everything <laughs> that they were doing and then it was and i gave them permission like yes you are more than welcome to ask the the cinematographer if what i told you is correct you know and uh and they could get second opinions god it must have been rough for those guys to hold their tongue like actually don't do that (laughs) but yeah so we had a blast man so that was good and i will let you guys all know when the video comes out on adobe.com in the at right now it's all practice time i've got a clinic tour coming up in less than a week so i leave for the uk uh, so i'm just practicing yes we've got to even suss out our podcast schedule while you're over there don't worry, folks. We won't miss anything. <laughs> Got you. All right. Oh, you want to get man. into this thing? You just jinxed us. Now I'm going to have to get oh, another boy. co-host. Um, <laughs> Carter, you good? <laughs> uh, 
That would be a great day. If, if Carter can cover for me while you're covering for him on the Lion King, we got a double whammy. Got a double whammy. Guys, we have a great episode for you, episode 183. We're going to talk about grid systems. If you don't understand what a grid system is, Mike and I are going to break that down for you. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Morgan Agrin. I'm sure I butchered his name. In our Agrin. gear review section, Agrin. In our gear review section, we'll be uh, checking out the Porter and Davies BCX Tactile Throne. We'll get a little promo time from Dream. Listener questions, audio listener questions this time. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's talk some education grids. Grid systems. So I guess we have to define it first. Um, Okay. So my experience with the term grid in relation to drumming was definitely marching band. Sure. Almost every technical exercise we learned was based on the grid where you take a concept where it's maybe it's accent taps or flams or diddles and you move you move it through every subdivision that you're focusing on 16th notes or triplets or right. whatever. So the grid itself would be the subdivisions and all of the the notes inside that subdivision. Right. So in between each each variation we would play just a solid measure of the basic grid, the subdivision, the 16th notes, the triplets, right. and then we'd add an accent on the first of four for a measure, and then we'd play the, the 16th, and then we'd add an accent on the second of four, and then go back to 16th. So every time we would come back to the the check pattern is what we called it, okay. which was the basic subdivision. Right. So I think grids are important because one thing that you start to realize early on when it comes to independence is certain note placements give your body more trouble than other note placements. The downbeats are something that almost all of us live with our whole life. We feel this pulse in music. We tap our foot to music. So that would be the numbers. No matter what the subdivision is, there will still be numbers. If you have 16th notes, it's 1E and a 2E and a 3. If you have 16th note triplets, 1 and a 1 and a 2 and a 2 and a 8th notes, 1 and 2. There will always be numbers. There will always be downbeats. So we're very comfortable putting things there like a bass drum or a snare drum hit. The ands are another thing that we live with. So those generally become the upbeats, but a lot of music is focused on upbeats. So if you Mm -hmm. listen to reggae, if you listen to jazz, it's the two and four for them, but we still feel it as an upbeat. And so when it comes to placing a bass drum or a snare drum or a ride cymbal hit on the ands of the grid, feel pretty good. It's those damn E's and U's. Yeah, that's and this is something uh, I've been stressing with a lot of students and in my workshops is is – don't think of the E's and the U's as something you have to hurry and get to the next downbeat. Like, I feel like almost everyone is like, when they get to the E and the U, they're on ice. Like, oh gosh, it's the right. E and the U, let me hurry up and get back to the downbeat. I, I like to sit on just the E for extended periods of time and, and to the point when it's like, okay, now it's like I hear it and it's not, it's its own entity rather than it's something that's not a downbeat. <laughs> you know? Right, right. No, it just is. It's just a note. And that's why the grid is so important. So when Mike and I are talking about this, just in case you're lost right now, and if you've played for less than five years, there's a good chance you're going, I kind of understand, but I don't fully understand. What we're talking about when we say the E is inside the grid of 16th notes. That would, The grid would be all of them. One E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. We're talking about isolating one note per pulse, one E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. And a lot of times, the E's are the ones that get rushed towards the downbeat. One E and a, two E and a, because yeah. you're trying to get it in. The U's get kind of pushed late into the next downbeat, one E and a, two E and yep. a, three E Yeah, almost so, always. Yep. Right, and then eventually, if you can learn to live with those E's and U's, one E and a, two E and a. Listen to my snapping. It's just snapping. Yeah. It's not. It's not easy enough. You know. Yeah. I could. If I kept snapping for another five seconds, most of you would turn that into eighth notes. Yeah. It'd be like cut, cut. Yeah. Here we go. It's like, well, that's why it's so important to understand this grid system. So when you start with a grid system, one of the things they're most useful for is cycling through to find your problem areas. So if I was playing a basic pop groove with my hands, one and two and three and four, and I would grid the downbeats. One, two, three. Then the E's. One E and, E and, E and. Then the ands. One and, and. And finally the U's. One, a two, a three, a four, a one. And recycle that over and over and over again. You're playing that with the bass drum, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're going through. In case you couldn't hear the floor of my (laughs) studio. (laughs) So you're playing eighth notes with the hi-hat or ride. 
yep. two and four with the snare. Snare. And then you're cycling the bass drum through each of the four possible 16th note, single note subdivisions. Exactly, which is keeping them equidistant. They're not syncopated yet. Even if they're all showing up on the E's, that doesn't make them syncopate, syncopated uh, because they're still, the distance between each note is the same. So what that's good for, especially when it comes to foot ostinatos where you're trying to maybe work out some left-hand independence, is finding the problem note. There will be one or two of those that is way harder than the others. Mm -hmm. And then you can go, okay, today I'm literally, just like Mike said, I'm going to work on my E all day long. That placement is giving me physical trouble. I need to rewire my my brain and my body to accept that placement so it's not awkward. Because at some point, and I think this is why with marching and with jazz band, you and I both had to do this. At some point, there's an accent in one of those places, and we yeah. our, our heart starts palpitating leading up to that because <laughs> we know that physically our body doesn't want to hit that placement because we're not comfortable with it. Yeah, that's a good – this would be a good uh, opportunity to put a mirror up in front of you and see yeah. what happens to your body when you play that because almost everyone, they start gritting their teeth and cr- – you know, the, like they're – tense. They, they yeah. get off balance. Their body gets just really out of control. So if you focus on just how can I keep my body comfortable as if I'm playing a downbeat, but just play the E. It's definitely harder than it than it sounds, but I think if right. you can do, if you can look at yourself and say what's happening when I play that E, you're probably tensing up. Well, then it's never going to feel comfortable. So you have to kind of breathe right. through it, <laughs> allow it to be, yeah. and not worry about it like being difficult, quote unquote. I think also this is something where tempo comes to play because yeah. finding an E at one forty and going one E and a two E and a three E is a little tougher than one E and a two E and, yeah. and so you have to build up the tempo of that feeling of that placement. So with a grid, that's where you guys can use something where you say, okay, I want to build bass drum freedom or snare drum freedom or even definitely bell placement freedom between you know kick on one and three, snare on two and four, mm-hmm. and where do you want to place the bell? So a grid is a great thing for that so we cycle through those single note placement options and then what happens after that for you do you go to two notes or do you start syncopating the rhythm um no this actually falls right in line with my recent clinic approach it's um i do single notes with the bass drum single notes with the snare drum single notes with the bass drum and snare drum single notes with the left foot and then uh, snare drum, left foot, bass drum, left foot, and then finally all three limbs. So I exhaust the idea of only playing one note, one sixteenth note per beat, per pulse. Okay. And it eventually it becomes either bass drum, snare drum, or left foot while keeping some sort of ostinato with the right hand. And that, okay. that could be hours, weeks, months of practice. Oh, sure. And there's Absolutely. a lot of music there, too. That's kind of what I try to emphasize is there's a lot of music living in just that just that concept. You, you won't right. sound like you're practicing basic material it's like there's if you if you really string them together you can play really intricate melodies especially once the left foot starts getting involved so that's i do bass drum is definitely first then snare drum then i work on the bass drum snare drum combo and then i bring the left foot in i try not to jump the left foot in too soon because that could be such a hurdle technically now when you bring let's say you bring in the left foot do the other two limbs that you were using, kick and snare, do they return to their basic whatever they were doing? No, so at that kick, point, it's, it's it's just left foot. It's a melody. Well, you start with the left foot, and then it's can I improvise with the right foot and left foot playing just one, one sixteenth okay. note per pulse? And then can I do le- a bass drum, snare drum, and left foot improvising? So let's say that I was playing eighth notes on my ride. Ding, 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 ding. You're saying that you would go ding, chit, goom, ding, ching, ding, goom. Okay. Work through all four, and then in each step, I I add the improvisation element. So if I master, if I think I master the bass drum with single notes, then I improvise with single notes, and inevitably I'm going to find some stuff that feels awkward, and I go back and rework it. So I always add a little bit of just freeform improvisation once I think I've mastered one step of it. Yeah, same. And then when it comes to the doubles, we can st- we can go through that same grid starting with two notes. So we'd have one E and a two E and a three E and a four E shift, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E shift, one E and a two E and a four E shift, one a two E and a three E and a four E and a one. So once we get through that, then the grid isn't exhausted. Now, you could definitely do triple notes. Uh, you just have to decide, are three notes in a row something that you're going to use? Personally, I do it because I I actually 
use it quite often, especially with my right hand. I want to have one E and one E and a and a two and a one E a two right. E. I want to have all of those down. So I do <clears throat> the threes as well, but that's just the most basic form of the grid. After that, you you start seeing this whole thing as a grid and realizing, well, wait, couldn't if we have sixteen total possible placements, I could have the one, the five, the six, the seven. Mm-hmm. The nine, the ten. You know, you can start plugging in things, but I think what it helps is it helps people with their time because even if you're playing the most syncopated rhythm, you still realize it's attached to a grid. It's not just this random placement of notes. Yeah. You know, if I'm playing da 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 da, it's one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a. Yeah, it's really when you start stringing these little fragments together. Now you're making music, and you're yeah. you're hopefully not losing sight of the quarter note. So then that's when, yeah. the, for me, the real creative freedom opens up when I, I know at all times where the quarter note is. So then yeah, the pulse. I can kind of let the rhythms go in some crazy ways that might trick my ear if I wasn't, if I wasn't aware of where the quarter note was. So if you're listening to me sure. play something, I'm like, man, it sounds like you're really off the pulse. But it's just because I'm, I'm so cognizant of how each of these rhythms fits. Maybe I played sure. a bunch of fives in a row. I don't know. It's just what I felt like playing, but I know right. where the pulse is. I did consciously say, okay, play some fives. No, just play right. some sixteenth notes in weird groupings and see what happens. Sure. Well, and I think also this isn't the end of anything. Once you have this, this is just a way to f- figure out. It's, it's almost like the beginning of independence in whatever you're working on. If you have this down, I can tell you, first of all, the numbers do go away. The grid goes from one E and a to da, 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 to eventually it's just there inside you. You feel that grid. Yeah. I'm not actually singing da, 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 <laughs> while I'm playing drums. But you kind of have to in the beginning. Absolutely, because yeah. I have to match this stuff up to something. Yeah. Then there's this whole next phase that maybe we'll get into on a different podcast where it, you, if you hear of the term greasy or in between the cracks – Eventually, you let the grid go, yeah. and you and you and that's when you're leaving the quantized feel behind and saying, "Okay, I can put this stuff wherever I want. I'm not rushing. I'm not dragging. I'm just not sticking to this flawless grid." Now my grid is a little wobbly on purpose. Yeah, as long as that coordinate pulse is strong internally, right. and and you're able to get, like convey that you have that strong pulse, I think you can play anything you want over top of that. I agree. I just think that. You have to have the – it's almost like you have to have the quantized version first so that you can then break away from it. You have yeah. to have good time first to then say – like just like you said, in between a quarter note, if we're dealing in a 16th note grid, there's three more notes that can rush and drag, and I can still hit that quarter note right on spot. Yeah, exactly. So you have to know what you're doing to do it or I would say – or it could be an environmental issue where you grew up with it and your environment – is a you're a product of that so that new orleans feel just comes out of you you can't you know that 16th note grid is not fun for your soul <laughs> yeah but i often wonder can, can stanton more play to a grid because right. everything he plays swings in, in the most normal natural way but right in a beautiful way but it does yeah i mean i don't want to hear sissy strut on quantized <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 16th note grid oh god so, i want to program that beat now see what it sounds like it'll be just like when siri did a. Uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, Bernard Purdy. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I love that. That's one of oh, my That's good stuff. <laughs> All right, everybody. So hopefully that at least gives you a little insight into the world of grid systems, why they're so important. You will find them. I, what do you think the first book that was grid systemed out? Would it be New Breed by Gary Chester? You know, I don't know. Um, because it, for, I, I kind of learned it through school band so right I, I mean i just i i would say that, that was the first gary time chafee, i was made maybe? a chafee's pattern chafee probably has some pattern stuff yeah. gary chester with new breed obviously benny's language of drumming dvd and eventual book so there's a lot of it out there it's a very common thing to realize oh wait all of these syncopated notes these rhythms that are giving me trouble they sit on a grid. You know, yeah. Even people when they're playing metric modulations, if I play every third sixteenth note and make a backbeat out of it, one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one e and a two e and a, it all sits on a grid, yeah. and that's why I can resolve it. Otherwise, it'd be like, well, we're here now. I hope you guys like this groove and this new tempo because <laughs> I don't know how to get back. Oh, well, that's the worst feeling ever when you oh, lose God. when you totally lose it. <laughs> 
You're like, somebody like, help me throw me a freaking life. I know that we should be a third slower than this. Uh, <laughs> anyone want to get me back? All right, everybody. So hope that helps. It is time to talk about our featured artist whose name I butchered in the beginning. It's Morgan who? Ogren. Ogren. I okay, guess. This- I mean, he's Swedish. I don't know exactly how you would say that in Swedish, but... That's put some dots over something. <laughs> I would assume. So Morgan is – this is awesome because the reason I started reading Modern Drummer when I was a kid and the reason why it was so important to my life as I was growing up is I didn't have access to the drumming world at large. I didn't know who the players were and Modern Drummer introduced me to the players. Mike and I started this podcast to do a very similar thing for today's audience and – Morgan is one of those drummers that I was just now introduced to because of this podcast and because of Modern Drummer. So I'm really excited to check this out. Uh, so how have you known about Morgan for a long time? Yeah, it's been a long time. He's he's a really? bit of an enigma because he's he's all about the art and and really exploring the extremes of it. So when I first heard him, he did a sample library for um, Drum Kit for Hell, the, mm. the like the original drum sample library. Yeah. So he did all these like intense heavy metal grooves for that i'm like all right well this guy's a metal dude and then i see that he he worked with frank zappa i think he was like the last drummer to work with frank zappa and then there's like the duo he has with this virtuoso pianist uh, a keyboardist i guess you could say they're just going like full-on 70s weirdo synth experimental mode so that's uh matt's morgan yeah yeah exactly but yeah, that's the duo. So he's he's such an enigma, and I feel like he's always exploring something new. He's got a couple of solo records that sound really kind of minimalist electronica. So it, it's right. it's like he's never doing the same thing twice, <laughs> which I think is brilliant. Awesome, absolutely, yeah. And uh, just watching him play too, it's probably the first drummer I've seen in quite a while where I can't tell our audience. Oh, he's a lot like. No, yeah, he's he's insanely t- like his technical skill is amazing, but he he kind of maintains some of that rough, like youthful edginess. Like it's, yeah. it's that's kind of what I think is appealing, but could also be what makes him hard to understand because he he kind of plays pretty raw, but he's got insane facility on the drum set. Well, that's the thing is right when I, I watched a bunch of his videos today, and right when I would be like, huh. You know, just thinking like, well, that's not that. And then like right when I got to that thought, then he just like blow my doors off. I was like, never mind. He's fine. <laughs> he's, he's that everything I just saw was on purpose. Like he actually probably created that poor technique to get that exact sound yeah. that was in his head. And he knows how to do it. So before we drop any more adjectives on him, do you want to just give our audience a chance to hear him? Yeah. So I would recommend if you're not familiar with Morgan, go to his YouTube channel and just start watching videos because everyone's different. There's vintage stuff from the 90s. 90s when he was young playing on tv in sweden but the one we're going to drop in is from the 2018 london drum show it's a six minute improvised solo with some electronic soundscapes and stuff we're going to grab a few minutes of it so that's what this is So in that solo chaos thing, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think if you if that was your snapshot of Morgan, you've made up your mind. He's yeah. in that world of experimental jazz yeah. fusion drummers. Uh, the guy doesn't want to lay it down. 
doesn't want to play with you know just a bass player, uh, <laughs> you're wrong. Yeah, because exactly. he can do it all. It's it's kind of crazy. So, um, you found another track that he did. It looks like he's just maybe at a home studio. And it's just called Borrowing Bootsy, and he's just playing over some Bootsy Collins stuff. Yeah, he found some Bootsy Collins. If you don't know who Bootsy is, the bass player from originally from James Brown and then went on to, with George Clinton. Uh, but yeah, he found a video of Bootsy, and this is him just playing a super fat pocket to Bootsy. Same drummer. So that's what I mean. You can't pin this dude down. He's he's in his, on his own path, and that path is always changing directions. Uh, where did you say it was from? Sweden. Sweden. He must be the most working drummer in Sweden. Because what could you not hire him to do? Yeah, I think he. I don't. I'm not f- familiar with the Swedish scene, but I would imagine he's probably top guy over there. I mean, he's he's a freak show. And there's also a really cool documentary on him, if you can find it. I, can, I don't know what it's called. I should have looked it up. But it kind of just follows him around in his crazy art world for, for a while. And it's really well done. It's, wow. it's really interesting. It's definitely very artistic and creative. At one awesome. point, I think he puts a north drum, those conical drums, over his head. <laughs> and he was, like, walking around with it. <laughs> Of course he does. That sounds about right. Well, uh, I think we need to all get together and pay for Scott Pellegrim to head over to Sweden to hang out with him because oh, I think yeah. those two would get along just yeah. fine. They would play all the notes and it would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. So check out more of Morgan uh, in the April issue of Modern Drummer. And now it is time to get into some gear review stuff. Uh, first, Porter. we got to thank uh, Dream for sponsoring the episode. Yeah. Don't forget that. So what uh, I did, <laughs> I was just searching around on Dreams um, YouTube page again. It's Dream Symbols and Gongs, and if you want a good idea of what their different symbols sound like, check out Kent Eberle's compares the Dream Symbols lines videos. We're going to drop in the first chunk where he's demonstrating the Bliss series, but he goes through the Energy series, the Dark Matter series, um, Ignition series. So that's a good kind of primer if you're kind of curious what Dream Symbols sound like. So let's check out the Bliss series as played by Kent. All right, let's check out the Dream Bliss series. The Bliss series is an extremely versatile series of symbols. Um, they have a very quick decay. Um, they have a, also a very easy response. So you don't have to hit these hard to get the full voice of the symbol, um, which makes them great for performance and for sessions. We're going to be performing on a 14-inch set of hi-hats, a 16-inch crash, a 22-inch ride, a 18-inch crash ride, and a 20-inch crash ride. So now let's take a look at the Dream Bliss series. it thanks uh dream for sponsoring the episode now let's talk about the coolest sounding instrument <laughs> yes what did you call it the the the, the, the bum the, chum the bum chum uh <laughs> so the porters and davies bcx throne uh this is the tactile throne so if you guys don't know what porters and davies is company that makes thrones and i guess you would consider it uh what a preamp slash Yes, it is a amplifier that you plug a microphone or some sort of electronic instrument into that then sends the the vibrations to the bottom of your seat. So the low end of whatever instrument you're micing up then rumbles your your bum. Now, (laughs) I can tell you that if you were to take this throne and maybe just 
I don't know, plug some head or plug your iPad into it, play some music and just sit on it. It would feel literally just like your throne was shaking. If you had, if you weren't hearing anything, it would just feel like your throne was buzzing and it wouldn't make any sense to you. It's not until you're actually playing the instrument yeah. that that feeling actually kind of goes away and your body registers it as sound waves and it makes it seem like you're hearing a lot more low end than you actually are. So it's a way to save your ears, in my opinion, yeah, and totally. feel the low end of the instrument when it's not being pumped through your headphones or your monitor mix, especially yeah. if you're not even using in-ears. If you were just on a regular monitor mix, yeah. it seems like there's a sub behind you. I mean, there's... What's worse than having a, a bass drum crank through a wedge and it just sounds like a like a paper bag getting punched? <laughs> You're like, thanks. It's a 26. How did you do that? How did you make it sound like that? So crazy. And also, I, I think it kind of addresses the issue that that all drummers deal with. The bass drum never feels right because the sound is yeah. shooting away from you. Where all the other drums, you hit it and you get the sound waves that come back up at you and you actually feel yeah. it. The bass drum. In most rooms, unless you're in a really beautiful sounding room, the low end is just 20 feet in front of you. you well, yeah, and even even in your practice room, it's when it's when your buddy gets on your kit that you go, "Wait, that's what my kick sounds right. like." I have right. the best bass drum on the planet. <laughs> I've never heard that. Uh, so yeah, I, I completely agree. I even know, and I'm sure you know as well, but. I know my room well enough now, especially from having camps and having other people play my drums. I know where to stand if I want to fall in love with my bass drum. Yeah, like, right. I'll be over here in this corner, yeah. 18 feet away from my drum set. It's definitely not at the seat. <laughs> no, no, it's not. So so the Porter and Davies, this one, you have the Gigster, which is one of their flagship ones. This one, the BCX, is a more affordable version, slightly smaller, slightly less powerful. Yes. But I don't know that the less power, unless you're on like Arena Tour, I don't know that that's a drawback. It's not. I mean, do you max your Gigster out to ten? Heck no. The Gigster, the the one that's one step up, it's like two hundred dollars more. I think the Gigster might be about eight hundred fifty dollars. The BCX, which is their most cost effective, smallest version, is about six hundred and fifty dollars. So two hundred dollars more. The BC two will make your fillings fall out. Like it rattles <laughs> so much. If you turn it all the way up, you're going to hurt yourself. Like right. for real, I would never do that. I mean, I, okay. I think I only turned the master volume up maybe to one o'clock at most. Oh wow! Okay, I mean, it'll, it'll really rattle you to the. I mean, it probably could shoot you off the throne. <laughs> it's like a. It's, it's like injectors. a joke to play. Just leave it at ten for when your guitarist is always sitting on your kit and trying to jam a groove. I mean, it would scare the crap out of him, literally. <laughs> Our first potty joke of 2019. All right. Ooh, all right. So the, now here's the comparison. I, I have both of them. Um, I bought both of them because I have use for both of them. The Gigster stays in my studio. So every time I'm recording with in-ears, I can dial in the amount of low end through this thing that I feel like I'm playing on a big stage. And the benefit is I don't overplay the bass drum. So in a recording studio, that's crucial. I'm not smashing the bass drum to try to get all this low end. I can yeah. use the Gigster. And what makes the Gigster a little bit better than the BCX is it has a contour knob so you can actually adjust the punchiness of your drum. Okay. Because it really does reproduce exactly what your bass drum does. So if you have a big, boomy bass drum, the Gigster is going to vibrate as long as that drum is resonating. Yeah. So, so even if I want to record like a nice, big, boomy drum, I can kind of dial out the resonance so it's just a little bit punchier, which is a little bit more able to kind of monitor yourself better so the gigster i think is an amazing tool it's very high end the bcx there's no contour switch so it's just whatever the mic gets goes through the amp and then it comes into your throne so it is what it is you're better off having okay. a punchy sounding kick drum if you want to use this otherwise it's going to rumble maybe a little bit too much for you so let me ask you about the the chain of events here first of all could i plug all of my mics into a mixing board, go out of a mixing board into this, and then it would also pick up my floor tom, Absolutely. a little bit of my rack tom. Okay, yep. so I I'll get the full you, drum yep. set sound. What I'm doing, if I'm not using, so what you can, what you do is you have a microphone that you can, or whatever, a line in, whatever. But let's say a microphone. You can run the microphone from your kick into this, and then there's a direct out. So then you can also run that out to your mixing board or your sound guy or whatever. Okay, it's, it's a Got preamp. It. Okay. Um, but what I do if I'm not using this actually to amplify my drum for recording or for live sound, just for monitoring, I put the mic 
down between the either the floor tom and the bass drum or the rack tom and the bass drum aimed right at the side of the shell. And it oh. actually picks up the toms really, really well. So they, they vibrate just as well as the bass drum in the seat. Yeah, so when I was using my homemade version of this back in the day when I was touring, one thing we were doing was we were using an Alesis rack mount uh, like unit, a trigger thing? A trigger, yeah. And we would just send a triggered... Uh, we would actually trigger the bass drum and then go out of the Alesis into our thrones, really, uh, the way we had it done. And then we could sample, go through and be like, okay, arena kick almost shot me off the drum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 808 would be that long thing and you would feel it. The only problem was my toms always felt really flat and dead because yeah. they weren't part of that chain. So it's good to know that you could actually go out of a mixing board. Or like if somebody said... Uh, you know, I'm just going to give you the monitor mix. You could plug the monitor mix right into that thing and feel it. Totally, as yeah. long as you had a way to also hear what was going on. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't think you'd want like tons of snare drum because it would just right. be too much. But yeah, I, I like having the toms and bit. It does actually pick up the snare drum enough to give you some woofiness that you can feel. Again, I dialed in until I just barely noticed it. To where if I turn it off, I'm like, whoa, what happened? But if I turn it on, I don't really realize it's on. It's just yeah. more comfortable. I just feel like I'm kind of sure have more more tone resonating around me um, yeah it's a really effective tool now the bcx um it is less powerful i did find that i couldn't plug my um roland tm1 trigger module directly into it it just didn't have enough juice okay i had to run the tm1 trigger model module into a direct box first and then convert it to a low impedance signal into okay. the, and then it worked so that was the one thing that, it, that that I didn't expect was it doesn't have quite enough preamp to deal with line level drum machines and things like that you gotta boost gotcha. them up a bit first okay uh, well I can tell you that it's definitely invaluable to session drummers because when the last camp I did with Ash Stone he brought it to the camp but like it's part of his kit now yeah. And, and, I mean, we weren't. It, well, he wasn't doing the voice live. I mean, we <laughs> yeah. we were just in a studio, which you could clearly hear the drums fine. The monitor mix was great, and he still he's just it's it's part of his kit now. I know that yeah. Benny travels with his. Um, I take so. mine in the clinics because the rooms are always questionable, and I know if at least I can feel some low end, it might be a bright, ringy room, but at least I can kind of feel somewhat comfortable. Um, right. Yeah, this, and the BCX is small. It fits. I mean, I carried around in like a little. I mean, you can fit this in, a, in the thrown top in a snare drum case for sure, easily. Okay, last question about this. Is there anything on the bottom of this throne, like magnets or anything sticking off, like speaker magnets, or is everything built into the actual throne top itself? It's, it's really slick. The, everything's built into the throne. There's just a, a jack on the bottom that you plug the cable that connects it to the, to the motor. That's it. It's super slick. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. All right, everybody. We'll check out the Porter and Davies BCX tactile throne. Uh, it's when I said it's less powerful than the Gigster. It's not a lot less. I mean, it's seventy-five to eighty percent of the power of their of the bigger thrones that Mike was speaking about uh, earlier. So they're it's pretty amazing. So check it out. And now yeah. it is time to get to some listener questions. Hot right, dog. Audio questions. So let's go with our first one. Is Oh my, how do you pronounce this? Lutz? <laughs> Lutz. Oh man. <laughs> Let's see uh, what he says. <laughs> I, we gotta go with a Lutz. There's no way it's just Lutz. I mean, right. Put some sauce on it. This is our boy Lutz. What is up, Mike and Mike? And welcome to episode one of my audio listener questions. My name is Lutz and I live in Norway. I found your podcast at around episode 15. And I have been addicted to it ever since. First of all, I want to thank you very much for your great work. I really love the podcast and Fridays are always way too far away. Over to my question. I play a lot. I'm a member of eight bands right now and doing some freelance jobs as well. Sometimes it gets a bit busy, but I love all action bound to music. Anyway, I use my free time way too often chasing after the best drum sounds in my home studio. I'm totally addicted to gear, owning several drum kits, a ton of snare drums, cymbals, microphones and other stuff. And I spend hours and hours on, for example, moving the microphone on my rec tom half an inch to the left or to the right to find that sweet spot where it sounds best. If I only would use, let's say, 
30% of that time for practice instead, I'm sure I would be a much better drummer. Do you have any advice on how I can change my focus away from candy and over to the hard work? That's my question. By the way, Mr. Johnston, I'm gonna do something I've never done before. I'm gonna visit the UK drum show. I hope to meet you there and to get the hug you promised a few episodes ago. Again, Mike and Mike, thank you very much for sharing your conversation with the drumming community. So, please get started. Bro, first of all, we we got loots right. That's awesome. Second, the shuffle was killing. And third, how old is this question? I played the UK drum show like three months ago. <laughs> well, loots, I hope you got the hug, man. Um, you know what's funny is we have a lot of podcast listeners, and they came up gingerly and said, "So, can I have the hug?" A, like a lot of people, and I was like, "Yeah, of course. Just get on up in it. Don't you know? You don't even have to ask." I don't care. Let's go. No, you definitely have to ask me. Do not come yeah, up yeah, yeah. randomly. Just grab so it. you know, Mike and Mike, same names, very different personalities. <laughs> <laughs> don't just run up on Dawson and hug the man. You'll probably end up in a pretzel on the ground. Oh, goodness. Uh, Lutz, you sound fantastic. I would say right off the bat, your life and what you're going through and all the things that you're kind of saying like, oh, man, like oh, this is a problem. That's that's the life of a, a consumed professional drummer. I mean, you, you pretty much described mine and Mike's life to a T, uh, what we do. I'll just give you my first tip for what you're going through. If I don't plan out my day down to the hour, I will do exactly what you said. Every time Amber calls it tinkering, I come in, I do it instead of it being with sound, especially cause I only have one overhead and one bass drum mic. I'm doing it with camera angles, with lighting, and all day long, all I'm doing is tinkering and tweaking and trying to make things 1.5% better. Now, if I start, what I do is in the morning now, I sit down on the steps. This is like a, uh, on the staircase with my dog. So we call it uh, a tradition unlike any other, just like the masters. Uh, mm-hmm. We sit down. My dog sits next to me. I get out my app. It's called uh, To-Do or T-O-D-O. I call it Toto. So I get out my Toto (laughs) app, and I write down literally everything I'm going to do from the second I get to work, and every one of those tasks gets an alarm. Now, you could obviously do this in any scheduling app. So when I do that, I can't even begin to tell you how productive my time is. And I build in the things that you're talking about. I build in time. I have 30 minutes to mess with my preamps today to see what it sounds like if I push my preamps a little harder. But when the alarm goes off and it says, now create a flyer for UK drum show, then Mm -hmm. I do that and I do that. And I get – it's like – because the problem – maybe things are different for you, Mike, at Modern Drummer. I don't know. But the problem I have is I'm the only one here. So there's no one keeping me on task. There's no boss. There's no – I'm not on the clock. I can go home whenever I want. I can come back whenever I want. So I really do have to schedule out every minute of my day if I want to be productive. And when I don't, it's always because I got cocky thinking, no, I got this. Yeah. And then I come home and Amber says, what would you do today? I'm like, I don't know. She says, did you do what I asked you to do? I'm like, I have no idea what you asked me to do. And she says, what happened? I'm like, I, I don't know. I found some new Nikes that, like, they're coming out in a new color. And, and then Tesla released the Model Y last night, and I have to research that for no reason. I'm never going to get one. So, yeah. So I, I'm with you, bud. It all makes sense. What about you, man? Um, I guess two points. I think I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and spoil the end of the story for you. No amount of professional gear or high-end equipment is going to make you sound as good as you think you need to or that – I mean, it's, it's, it's not, not the help. missing, it's not the missing link. Yeah. I mean, just work with what you got and just say, how can I just deal with it for now? Um, cause I trust me, we're all guilty of that. I'm constantly buying and selling gear thinking the next thing is going to be the secret. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That Acrolyte I've had since 1989, <sighs> still a pretty killer drum. It cost 80 bucks. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, the other side of it, which I think dovetails with what you're saying is, I do like a long to-do list of everything. I just kind of randomly, what's everything I could possibly dream of doing in this day or this week, (laughs) right? Okay. And then I organize it into quadrants. So it's either important and urgent, it's important and not urgent, it's not important but it's urgent, and it's not important and it's not urgent. And if I put them in those four categories, I know – and ideally, you don't want to have everything being urgent and important. That means you're not getting enough stuff done on time. You're procrastinating. 
but I try to attack the really important, urgent stuff, and then what can I grab out of the important but not urgent stuff to make sure I'm making progress in the future so I'm not always up against the deadline. And then the stuff at the bottom, which is usually like clean out your inbox or take the recycling out, It's that's like end-of-day stuff for me. Right. That helps. I love it. That helps. Yeah, I think somewhere in between those two, everyone can find some balance. And Lutz, you 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 uh, you double whammyed us, buddy. You were like, you're going to listen to my question and listen to my drumming at the same time. I'm getting in. I love it. Drumming right. was pretty awesome. All right, our next question is from Jay Cookson. Hi, Mike and Mike. Jay from the UK here. Thanks very much for the podcast. It is truly brilliant. But anyway, to my question, could you please just make it clear? Uh, regarding your stance on technique. I think I'm right in saying that at times you have said that hands and feet will just kind of work out what they have to do. And at other times when you've talked about such things like the Gadsden groove, you've stated that certain technical ability is necessary to be able to play this type of things at certain tempos. Could you just please clarify your stance on how important or not as the case may be it is to learn and study technique thank you very much and once again keep up the great work that is a great question yeah can you recap what he's asking (laughs) yeah i mean i think what he's saying is something that we have all experienced which is hey there's a lot of muddy waters here am i supposed to be the marching flawless technique guy where i know exactly what the molar method is i know exactly what heel toe is or can I just focus on art and eventually my hands and feet will figure this stuff out? And my answer is, yep. It's yeah. right in between those two. Yeah. I think that you have to have solid, efficient technique that fits your body. And you do have to work on that. You have to understand the basics of drumming technique. A downstroke, a full stroke, an upstroke, a tap, ghost notes. Those things I can't get anyone out of. I think when Mike and I talk about not being really hardcore, like heel up is better than heel down or traditional is better than matched, what we're saying is that would be a lot easier if everyone was five foot ten, 185 pounds, and all identical twins. Mm-hmm. We could develop the perfect technique for that human being, but we are all different. And the technique that might work best for me is not going to work best for a former NFL football player or a former rugby player that has three smashed fingers that won't even bend to hold the stick properly. Yeah. So the technique, once you understand, I think there's almost two techniques that we seem to forget. There are the physics of the drumstick going down and going up. Mm -hmm. You do need to know those no matter what. There's the physics of the bass drum beater going forward and coming back. You need to understand how that works and really work on that stuff. But then there is your personal body mechanics that I can't tell you what's best or worse. Yeah, and I think for me the archetypes are like painters. If you think of Salvador Dali or Picasso and look at their early work, 100% technical, flawless realism, like insane skill as painters. And then once they had those skills, they said, okay, I'm going to just – mess with all the rules and see what happens and that's when Salvador Dali became the surrealist and that's when Picasso became the playful childlike cubist but if you look at their early work it is perfection technical perfection and I think that's kind of my goal I want the technique to be at a point where like there's no there's no holes in it so I don't have to think about it anymore now I can start exploring so if I'm always worried about can I play this tempo without without falling apart I'm never going to really get to explore the art of it because I'm just trying to physically get through the song. Right. If everything sounded great and then watching the video back, I noticed that my pinky came off four times. It still sounded great. I'll take that over. It was a little stiff, but my pinky stayed on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that happens with me a lot when I've been going for a certain sound and I don't realize it. I, my fingers do come out. And depending on what yeah. angle the video is shot at, it, it might look really it's, terrible. Yeah. But I'm like, you right. know, what? I'm, I'm leaving it because I was going for that sound. I was going for a really light right. kind of weightless sound. Yeah. And we've also witnessed people create a technique that works almost only for them. When you see Keith Carlock play for the first time, you're going like, that's yeah, he's hurting that's, himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then. <laughs> You also go, uh, that's amazing. Uh, so, so yeah, so I think uh, hopefully that helps Jay and just know that we all struggle with that exact same thing. Like, how much should I focus on being this flawless snare drum master drummer 
versus how much should I just be kind of what, what we talked about with Morgan in the, in the middle of this podcast where he's just an artist. So, yeah. all right, next up. All right. You want to do one Steve more? Or or Garrett. Do you want to do another one or do you want to save him for next week? I'm not scared. Uh, we, we went pretty long on Lutz yeah, just because we're so excited it. about him. All right, guys. You can send more questions in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We do have two audio questions. So Garrett Roberson, Steve Smith, you guys will be next week, and we will pick those up then. Now it is time for our picks of the week. <laughs> you and I talked about my pick of the week, and you were <laughs> very excited to give it a try as long as I pay for it. Uh, so... Uh, I have you guys know that I'm a huge fan of green tea never been a fan of matcha if you don't know what matcha is I'll just give you the simple breakdown take green tea leaves green tea leaves and powder them just grind them up until they're in a powdered form throw that in some water whisk it up into a little bit of a froth and you've got matcha tea so I just don't like it I like tea I like loose leaf tea bags I like and, and it's thick I showed you it on my iPad, I was like, check out this thing I'm drinking. It's It looks like paint. It's so dark and thick. <laughs> so uh, so it's just not been my thing. Anyways, uh, when we did the camp with Adobe, Matthew from Adobe was kind enough to bring me a very, very nice jar of matcha green tea. I felt bad because I was like, I am never in my life going to drink that. But during the camp, what we did was everyone had to go shoot something creative. So I thought, oh, this is a cool little green jar. I'm going to shoot making matcha. So I did a whole video on making a cup of matcha. Well, then I was left over with a cup of matcha. So I drank it, and it was so good, so good. And what I learned now, I've only, I've never tasted coffee, but I've heard this about coffee that there is a smoothness difference between. McDonald's, well, let's not call them out. They have great coffee, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. But getting a I don't two dollar coffee, co- McDonald's has great. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is there. I've heard there's a massive difference between just a cup of Joe at, at your local gas station and then like some legit pour over coffee. It's much smoother. And I can tell you right now, this matcha was a game changer and I have been drinking it nonstop. So if you want to get into that world, I just wanted to recommend this exact brand because it's really, really good. Um, So the company is called Jade Leaf Matcha and that's all they do is really high-end matcha. So the one I'm drinking is called the Classic Ceremonial Matcha. Um, Affordable? Debatable. Depends, depends on, on, depends on how job. much you got to afford. Depends on how much you want to drink away. <laughs> well, let's let's put it this way. I don't know that I'll be reordering it, but I'm sure glad he bought it for me. Uh, so, a pound of the one I'm drinking right now is two hundred and seven dollars. Oh, but a pound is a lot of tea. I mean, that's a I mean, lot of tea. No, all right, look, how much is in that little canister you got there? Thirty thirty grams. Okay, and how many grams and, are in a pound? I don't know. Um, I don't know either, and I'm not going to really get into that. But but no, so you could get the the one that he got me. Um, you could get it for about thirty dollars, and I would say you're looking at about twenty cups of tea. But I'm telling you, if you go to like a, a coffee shop and order matcha, that's yeah. not what I'm drinking. This it's- is the smoothest, most amazing tasting thing I've ever had, and it's not strong it's just it's it's quite wonderful so this is high grade uh japanese organic ceremonial grade tea Uh, and actually this is not uh, it goes up from ceremonial to premium ceremonial to limited edition single origin first harvest organic ceremonial so that one per pound uh yeah, it's a lot. You don't want that. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> check it out. Jade Leaf. You can get this on Amazon. Jade Leaf Matcha. And uh, It's not your I everyday tea drink. It's No, this is like if if you know that I'm coming to your house and I'm a tea snob, get this. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you're way cooler than I thought you were because you got the good. <laughs> and you can pretend that it's your everyday. And I'm like, damn, you must be killing it. What kind of gigs are you doing? Oh, man. This is honestly what I would expect. Todd Zuckerman to serve me on like, you know, like I feel like Todd just has everything at that premium luxury edition. Everything he does is luxury. Yeah. I yeah. can see Todd just being like, Oh, let me make you some tea real quick. And then he drops this on me. And I'm like, 
food. It's like a forty dollar cup of tea. The Pappy Van Winkle of green tea. <laughs> totally. So check it out. It is Jade Leaf Matcha. Like I said, you can get it on Amazon. All right. My recommendation is an EP. It's called Modular EP, and this is a I think an, an often overlooked record from Matt Chamberlain's discography. Mm. It is it's a trio. Um, the album is called sonic explorations project they're calling modular i think that's why it's confusing because it's like what's the album what's the band and who's in it it's i think it's categorized under the artist um dan phelps but it's dan phelps he's kind of like a soundscape experimental electronic artist and then matt chamberlain on drums and victor kraus on bass it's amazing it's one of those like put on in the background just kind of space out but there's also a lot of really crazy kind of improvisation going on and Matt just sounds amazing so I wanted to drop in a bit of the opening cut that's called Everest So this is the yellow cover with the mixing board on a tripod or something? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's confusing. It's like a horn. I don't know what it is. Like <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. there. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but it's really good. It's short. It's, it's not a, It's not like even a full-length record, but this is one that whenever it just comes up randomly on my iTunes, I'm like, man, i got to really dig into this more. That's when he was in a mode of, of playing with a lot of small instruments. So the beginning beat, you can tell he's playing on like a micro snare and probably little tiny mm-hmm. hi-hats, and then he busts yeah. into the big, what we think of Matt Chamberlain sound. It's a cool record, so check it out. Sonic 2011. I'm assuming track three is their single because it's only 14 minutes and 46 seconds. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the toe tapper. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I'm excited. I, I love anything. You know, you and I, Matt Chamberlain was like our bonding thing when we yeah. first started becoming friends. So I'm excited to check this out. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to episode 183. If you can, head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Those reviews and ratings help other drummers find this podcast. And that is our goal, just to make sure that the drummers of the world know that they've got people on their side. We're all in this together. We're all struggling, and we're all having fun with it. We're all obsessing over moving a microphone two inches to the left or two inches to the right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. Our outro beat is Derek. This is an outline an outline for a future song that he that his friend wrote on guitar. So it is a what's he playing? He's got wow. He bought one of those Angel Maple snares that we had the promo for. Yeah. We're hearing one of those drums in action. If you missed out on that promo, you missed out. But that's it. So we'll let we're gonna let him send this off. Sweet sounds, Derek. <laughs> <laughs>